As we at American Family Radio honor Memorial Day, we are mindful of those who have given their lives in the service of our nation, as well as those who gave their all for the cross of Christ. Welcome to Cataclysmic Times, featuring frequent co-host of today's issues, Ray Pritchard. Ray also serves as president of Keep Believing Ministries. American Family Radio presents Cataclysmic Times. We live in strange times. Someone has called this the age of anxiety, and it seems appropriate enough. A while back, I saw this headline, Most Think Country Headed in Wrong Direction. Those words could be slightly altered to read like this, Most Think Family Headed in Wrong Direction. Most Think Marriage Headed in Wrong Direction. Most Think Career Headed in Wrong Direction. Most Think World Headed in Wrong Direction. I attended a worship service where the pastor said during a prayer, It seems that we are living in cataclysmic times. I thought of the continuing unrest in North Korea, the rising tension between Iran and Israel, and the trouble that seems unending across the Middle East, and threats of terrorism in Europe and America. Recently, Russian President Vladimir Putin announced his country had developed a new supermissile that can't be stopped by conventional defense systems. Footage accompanying the announcement seemed to picture a missile heading toward the U.S. Consider these headlines. When will we have another world war? History says soon. Battered, bruised, and bumpy. The whole world is on edge. Is the global economy facing a financial Armageddon? The situation in the world has become so unstable that catastrophe could happen at any moment. We're hearing people use words like Armageddon and the end of days to describe what may lie ahead for planet Earth. No wonder many people are preparing for the worst. Our fear makes us angry, uptight, tense, hostile, sullen, and very impatient with each other. I see this on my bike rides because when you travel city streets, you live in constant awareness that A, drivers don't see you, B, if they do see you, they don't notice you, and C, if they really do see you, they don't like you. So you constantly pay attention to the cars coming and going and often brushing right against you. I see the frustration on the faces of the drivers, and often I hear it when they honk their horns at the slightest provocation. Lest you think I'm overstating it, consider these words, quote, Americans hate each other. There is not only the everyday empirical evidence of wrath along interstate highways, but in the snake pits of real estate, marriage, shopping, pro wrestling, and health insurance, close quote. So begins the article on anger by Wayne Biddle. He adds this trenchant observation. Anger seems nowadays just a millionth of an inch beneath every human surface, passive or aggressive, and it will bite your head off, stab you in the back, laugh in your face, leave you twisting in the wind, maybe all at once and more. He's right. We do live in cataclysmic times, and the anger that lurks beneath the surface is a symptom of a world that seems to be spinning out of control. The Bible predicts a time in the last days when God will shake the nations so that those things that cannot be shaken will remain. Hebrews 12, 26 and 27. When Eugene Peterson paraphrased the last part of verse 27 in the message, he said that God will shake the earth, quote, getting rid of all the historical and religious junk so that the unshakable essentials stand clear and uncluttered, close quote.
unshakable essentials. That says it all. God is shaking the world so that we will figure out what matters most. In the end, everything that man builds collapses before his eyes. A friend sent me an email containing these lines from a poem called Gray's Elegy, written in a country churchyard in England. The boast of heraldry, the pomp of power, and all that beauty, all that wealth e'er gave, awaits alike the inevitable hour. The paths of glory lead but to the grave. According to 1 John 2.17, the world is passing away along with its desires. Indeed, the best and brightest of us will someday die. All that we do will eventually be forgotten. Consider these next two sentences carefully. Those who look to this world for approval will eventually be disappointed because the best things of this world must one day disappear. But those who look to the God who created this world will find safety and security that will last forever. What a revelation the judgment day will be for all of us. The things we thought that were so important, so crucial, so vital, the things we included on our personal resume, the degrees we earned the money we made, the deals we closed, the classes we taught, the friends we cultivated in high places, the buildings we built, the organizations we managed, the budgets we balanced, the books we wrote, the songs we sang, the records we made, the trips we took, the portfolios we built, the fortunes we amassed, the positions we finally attained so that the people of this world and even our Christian friends would know that we didn't just sit on the couch watching The Simpsons every night. All the stuff that we take such pride in, the things that in themselves are not evil or wrong or bad, but are the stuff of life in this world, all of it, every single last bit of it, every part of it, considered singularly and then combined together to give us our reputation, our standing, our place in the world, even our place in the Christian world, our name in the lights, our claim to fame, the reason for existence, our bragging rights, if you will, the proof that we were here and made a name for ourselves in the short 50 or 60 or 70 or even 80 or 90 years that we have on planet Earth. Think of it. All of it added together means nothing, zip, zero, not a vanity of vanities, all is vanity, and I think I've heard that somewhere before. That's a very long sentence, isn't it? I wrote it that way to emphasize how easy it is for us to get sucked into the world's way of thinking, how quickly it happens, and on so many different levels, and all of it will someday amount to nothing. Sometimes people hear that I'm an author and seem a bit impressed. But it doesn't amount to much in the great scheme of things. I remember soon after my first book came out, a friend called to say that he found a copy of it at a garage sale for 25 cents. When I asked if he bought it, he laughed and said no. So it goes. You write books that are published with great fanfare, only to go out of print sooner or later and end up on some dusty bookshelf or more likely in a garage sale or even more likely sold for a few pennies on eBay. Long ago, I realized that my books are destined to be landfills someday. Some of them are probably already in a yard in Southern California. Such is life. If that sounds melancholy, I don't mean it that way. It's just the way the world works. Nothing lasts forever, including you and me. We won't live forever on the earth. 
We are disposable creatures, very much perishable, a flower quickly fading, here today and gone tomorrow. And we do live in cataclysmic times in which God is shaking the world. That shaking will increase in the days to come as we near the return of Jesus Christ to the earth. In Matthew 13, Jesus told a story about a farmer who sowed wheat in his field. But during the night, his enemy came and sowed weeds, sometimes called tares, among the wheat. The farmer had no idea what had happened until weeks later when he discovered the wheat and the weeds growing together. When his servants volunteered to pull up the weeds, he told them to leave the weeds alone, lest they accidentally pull up the wheat at the same time. They were to let the wheat and the weeds grow together until the harvest, at which time he would have the reapers gather the weeds for burning, then the wheat would be gathered into the barn. Later, his disciples asked him to explain the story. The wheat and the weeds represent believers and unbelievers in the world. The Lord sows the good seed that produces believers, while the devil sows bad seed that produces unbelievers. That's the world as we see it today. Christians and non-Christians live and work and play side by side. We shop at the same stores, we eat at the same restaurants, we drive on the same roads, and we work in the same companies. Very often, we watch the same programs on TV. We may even send our children to the same schools. The real point of the story is you can't always tell by looking at the outside who's a Christian and who's an unbeliever. Superficially, we may appear to be much the same, and when we die, we are all buried in the ground. I've walked through many cemeteries, and you can't tell much about the spiritual state of those who rest six feet below the surface. The saved and the lost rest side by side. We are much the same in life and in death. But a day of final separation is coming when the Lord himself will send his angels to separate the righteous from the unrighteous. Since he alone will be the judge, there will be no mistakes. Now, Let's ask what this parable teaches us about the last days. I think it suggests to us that there will be twin parallel harvests of good and evil in the days preceding the coming of the Lord. Just as in the parable, the wheat and the weeds came to fruition at the same time, so it will be at the end of the age. Evil will be more outrageous than ever before, and the good will be easier to spot. Evildoers will become more brazen, and there will be a corresponding harvest of righteousness in the last days. The Lord's work will prosper in the midst of continuing moral decline. I don't know of any truth that so encourages me as that. We often talk to you on American Family Radio about the troubles in our nation, in our culture, in the West and around the world. We're not hesitant to point out the progress that evil has made and the moral decline of Western civilization. And we talk a lot about how Christian values are being taught against and preached against and how Christians are being slowly pushed to the margins of society. My friends, that's not just true historically, that's true biblically. If we believe the parable of the wheat and the weeds, we're going to see evil on the march in the last days. But, but... If we are to take the other side of this parable literally and truthfully, it means that the Lord's work is going to prosper in the midst of continuing moral decline. That is such an encouragement. 
That leads me to believe that the greatest revivals in history are still ahead of us. Let me say that again. We had a great awakening in the early days of the founding of this nation. And then there was a second great awakening. Then in the early 1900s, there was the Welsh revival that spread around the world. God has been pleased at times across history to awaken his sleeping church, to send revival and a spiritual awakening that shook families, churches, cities, and nations. Well, I believe that we ought to look for that in the last days. I am saying I believe the greatest revivals in history are still ahead of us. We've all heard it said that the darker the night, the brighter the light shines. When a jeweler wants to convince you of the brilliance of a diamond, he places it against a dark background. That's one reason why I am so encouraged on this Memorial Day weekend. We all know how the world is getting darker and darker. Uh, we, we talk about on American Family Radio how Romans 1 is coming true. God gave them over. God gave them over. God gave them over. And so what God said 2,000 years ago, we are seeing come true. But there is another word from the Lord. And that is that if we take the parable of the wheat and the weeds seriously, we are going to see some amazing answers to prayer in the midst of horrendous evil in the last days. Now, it is sometimes said that those of us who believe in the return of Jesus Christ, and I mean the imminent return of Jesus Christ, it is sometimes said that we are too pessimistic about the future. I personally don't feel pessimistic at all. If we are indeed living in the last days before the return of Christ, and that is what I believe, we should expect things to get better and worse at the same time. I think we should believe God for amazing answers to prayer, culture-shaking moves of the Holy Spirit, and unprecedented open doors for evangelism. We should pray for the gospel to spread like wildfire across India and China. We should pray for God to do an enormous spiritual awakening across the Islamic nation of Asia and the Middle East and Africa. And we should pray for God to break the hold of secularism in modern Europe. If there is going to be a final harvest of righteousness, then we should expect to see not millions, but hundreds of millions of people coming to Christ in the years to come. And at the same time, the devil will do all he can to ignite an explosion of evil around the world. It will be the best of times. It will be the worst of times. What will spiritual warfare look like in the last days? Expect the devil to pull out all the stops because he knows his time is short. Spiritual warfare will increase in intensity as we approach the coming of Christ. Look for the stakes to be raised and the battle to be joined on every front. War on earth, war in heaven. The world will get worse. Don't be discouraged. Tough times are coming. Don't be surprised. There will be great days for evangelism. Be ready. You may face opposition. Be bold. Jesus is coming. Travel light. Let me go back to the words of Eugene Peterson. God is shaking the kingdoms of this earth so that what is unshakable will remain. Get rid of all the historical and religious junk so that the unshakable essentials remain. It's time to do some spiritual house cleaning. Time to look under the rug and behind the couch. Time to vacuum the corners of your soul. Time to clean out the rec room. Time to seal the cracks in the foundation. Time to shore up the sagging walls of your heart. I have a friend who is not given to speculative comments. 
My friend is not the sort to say the world is ending soon. Yet several times this person has said to me, I believe the world is ending soon. Is it? Perhaps it is. We'll know the answer soon enough. If the world ends tomorrow, then my friend was right. And I do think this might indeed be the beginning of the end, so to speak. Suppose Jesus is coming soon. How should we live? First, be alert. The last days will be a time of confusion and spiritual delusion. Don't be sucked in by the spirit of the Antichrist that is already in the world. That spirit tries to make us think sin isn't really sinful and that there's no such thing as right and wrong. It also seduces us into silence when we ought to be speaking out. Ponder the words of 1 Peter 5.8. Be sober. Be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Don't let that someone be you. A great deception will come to the earth in the last days. Many will be deceived. It's easy to say that would never happen to me. Don't be so sure. Many will be deceived who today would scoff at that suggestion. This is no time to play church. It's time to get serious with the Lord. This is no time to be religious. It's time to get right with God. This is no time to go through the motions. It's time to make Jesus Lord of your life. Second, don't be naive. This is a time for the people of God to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Don't be naive about the true nature of sin in the world. Bad things happen because evil people caused them to happen. They hijack planes and fly them into skyscrapers. They mail anthrax to public officials. They strap bombs on young people who then blow themselves up on a crowded bus. They loot and kill and destroy and defraud and break the laws of God and man. And sometimes they go on TV and gloat about it. If indeed we are living near the coming of Christ, then we ought to brace ourselves for further outbreaks of hideous evil. The worst is yet to come. No matter how good the world seems to be in terms of technology, the moral compass is pointing in the wrong direction. Third, be bold. This is no time for compromise. In times like these, Christians ought to be bold and open about our faith. Raise the flag of Jesus high above your head and then take your stand under that flag so that those near and far know who you are and whose you are. Open your mouth and say a good word for the Lord. Speak up for the Savior. Let your voice be heard so loudly that no one can doubt whose side you are on. Fourth, march in tight formation. This is no time for believers to wander off on their own. Stay tight with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Stay tight with your local church. Stay tight with your Sunday school class or your small group. Stay tight with your Christian friends at work. Stay tight so you can't be easily picked off by the enemy. When we march in tight formation, we are a formidable force to be reckoned with. When we try to go it alone, we become easy targets for Satan's attacks. Fifth, live without fear. If we know the Lord, we are joined with the one who is the ultimate victor in the battle between good and evil. As the Southern Gospel song says, I've read the end of the book and we win. Indeed, we do. We win because Jesus wins. We win not because of anything we do, 
but because we are joined by faith with the ultimate victor, the Son of God. A friend reminded me of the old spiritual that says, My Lord, what a morning when the stars fall from the skies. The slaves often sang songs that talked about the coming of the Lord because that great hope contrasted so vividly with the bleakness of their bondage. If we read about perilous times to come and then give in to fear, we have missed the great point that Jesus is the victor in the end. And you may listen to us here on American Family Radio, and sometimes we say things that are a little bit scary, but my friends, our faith, our ministry is rooted in the eternal Word of God. And yes, we have read the end of the book, and in the end, we win because we are joined with Jesus Christ. So, brothers and sisters, we must live in hope because our God is a God of hope, and in Christ we have great hope for the future. The church has always done its best work in bad days and hard times. When the skies are the darkest, it is then that the glory of the gospel shines the brightest. At Billy Graham's funeral, Anne Graham Lotz spoke of the significance of her father's death, calling it a shot across the bow. It's a message from heaven saying, wake up church, wake up world, Jesus is coming. She's certainly right that it's time for all of us to wake up. What if we are living not in the last days, but the last hours? What if Jesus were to come this day, this month, this year? Christians can face the future with optimism. The world looks at all the problems and says, is there any hope? For those who know Jesus Christ, there is enormous hope. These are great days to be alive, the greatest days in all human history. We may be the generation privileged to see the return of Jesus Christ. There's never been a better time to be a Christian. There's never been a better time to tell someone else. We are fighting a battle we cannot lose. The Lord is looking for some soldiers who will serve in his army. We were made for times like these. So, brothers and sisters, stand up for Jesus in the power of the Spirit, and victory will be ours. Let's wrap up this message with a very personal appeal. There never has been a better day to become a Christian. Why not come to Christ now? Today is the day of salvation. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, then run to the cross, run to the cross, run to the cross. Lay your sins on Jesus. Believe that he died for you and that he rose again on the third day. Open your heart to him. Pledge your allegiance to the Lamb who died for you. And oh, my friends, may I say, there's no other hope outside of Jesus Christ. Do not trust in your baptism. Do not trust in your church membership. Do not trust in the fact that you walked an aisle. Certainly do not trust in your good works or the money you give or anything else. Trust in Christ alone. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Can you say that? Can you sing that? On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Then, 
No matter what the future holds, you will have nothing to fear. On that note, I wish you and yours a very happy Memorial Day. You've been listening to the American Family Radio Special, Cataclysmic Times, featuring Ray Pritchard. Ray is president of Keep Believing Ministries. Connect with Ray at keepbelieving.com. Listen to this message again there and at AFR.net's specials podcast page. Cataclysmic Times is an American Family Radio special presentation.